0: I just got back from a three-day bushwalk around Mount Solitary Loop in the Blue Mountains, Australia. It was one of the more intense experiences that I've had in recent times, so I'd like to share some of the insights that I gained from it. I'd like to share this experience with you. Because it really was something else. and really did open up a lot of things for me. This expedition, this hike, was an idea of a friend of mine. And I decided to go along with him. It was just me and him. He was our expedition leader. He led the way. Planned the whole thing. We started out from Sydney. It was a two-hour drive to the Blue Mountains and Greater Region. The Blue Mountains is home to the Three Sisters, which is an international tourist attraction. There's a lot of people come from all over the world to see them. It's basically just three big rocks in the middle of the Australian bush with a glorious view surrounding it, and the whole national park in that area has lots of stunning views, lots of glorious experiences of the Australian bush that I was able to experience on this trip. So we parked up at a scenic spot. We made our way down through the tourist centre. We had packs on. We had enough packed for three days. We made our way down steep stairs, down the cliff face. For the first half an hour or so, it was very steep climbing downwards until we made our way onto the plateau. And at this stage, we were still going past tourists. There was still a lot of sightseeing, a lot of wonderful views of the waterfalls, the cliff faces, the vast bushes, the trees, the splendorous surrounds. And we made our way past where they used to mine coal, and there were points where we could even see coal mines opened up from where they used to dig it out, and coal still in the side of the mountain. My friend points it out and says, you could actually burn this. This is a source of energy that we've been using. And as we go on, we make our way deeper into the forest, and further away from the tourist sites, and more onto a bushwalking track. We have to go over some trees, around some shrubs, And it does really feel a lot like a rainforest. It's very dark. It's cool. Very little light is coming in. And it is high summer at the time of this trip. So some days can be very hot. At other points, there's a lot of ferns and the shrubbery changes. And that was one of the major things that I wanted to notice on this trip, was the different kinds of vegetation the different kinds of nature that would happen, that we'd come across as we walked our way through this loop. I should also mention that this is about a 34-kilometer loop. So it's about 22 miles, if you're American. And the Australian summer can get pretty hot on some days. can get from 35 to 40 degrees Celsius which is 95 to 105 degrees Fahrenheit. And at first, on the surface, it might seem like, well, 34 kilometers, that's not too far. Three days, that's about 10-11 kilometers a day. Not too bad. You walk at three kilometers an hour, that's about four or five hours or so of walking each day. It's not so bad. But what we didn't account for, or what really got me by surprise, was just how steep it was. And how much incline there was. But the first little bit of our first day was mostly along a plateau through this rainforest. And then we came out into the sun and made our way over what was called the Golden Stairs. The Golden Stairs stretch of the walk was known as the Golden Stairs because it's all over rocks. Which have broken away from the mountainside. And they can fall down quite easily. They're very unstable and it's this yellow sandstone, and the sun was beating down straight on us, really hot, and I could feel the adrenaline pumping into me. We made our way along, and after a few detours, we got back onto the track, and it was a clear bushwalk along to the first campsite. We stopped for a bit, and I could really feel my body starting to change because of the shock. Usually, I'm a very high-adrenaline person, and a lot of the activities that I've done in my life have very sharp peaks to them. This means they involve a high amount of adrenaline and activity in a short amount of time. And when we started walking, I had a few bursts of adrenaline, a few rushes, but I didn't account for, or my body wasn't able to adjust to the steady nature of hiking. And this was something that would come up again and again. We stopped for a bit and had some water, and I was feeling really dizzy. I was feeling really intoxicated. And I said to my friend, wow, it's so dramatic to be pushing away, walking away, working at something, having this constant activity which involves the whole respiratory system, the beating of the heart. At a slightly higher rate, the pumping of blood and the movement, the kind of trance-like movement of swinging the arms and stepping the legs constantly for a few hours and then suddenly stopping and then feeling that stillness in the middle of nature all around come and hit onto your experience. And as I was saying this to my friend, I was feeling a little bit dizzy a little bit intoxicated. The other factor that I think went into this was that a few days beforehand, I had been doing extensive meditating. So I had been doing four hours, six hours, eight hours a day, fully blindfolded, sitting perfectly still, in the quiet. And there was even a day where I went an entire day blindfolded. And this can release large amounts of dopamine into the brain and can cause a slight intoxication. It's sort of like being a little bit drunk if you do this. If you're sensitive enough and aware enough to be getting these gains from your meditation, and you don't have too many hard addictions which can interfere with that, and you don't have to go through a withdrawal phase, then having blindfolded times, hours, either half day or full day, can really lead to some good intoxication, some good state improvements. And I had been going from that, which is a lot of stillness and a lot of quietness, to the hard bushwalking and activity of stepping one foot after the other along this track for hours on end. We had a break and I ate a whole bunch of nuts, drank some water, and we got ready to ascend and start to climb Mount Solitary. My friend wanted to make it to the top in the first day. We'd started out a bit late, but it wasn't a totally unambitious goal for him to have, depending on how far it was. But as we kept going, I kept feeling more and more queasy, more and more drained. Now, there were a few things that I was using internally to develop my experience and to get the most out of this experience. There's two things that I'll share at this stage. One was the body scan, and the other was acceptance. So, what I would do as I was walking is I would scan the body with my attention and notice the sensations. This is a pretty stock standard meditation. And at varying degrees, I had more ability and less ability to do that. Basically, every time we stopped for a rest, I would have this huge rush, this huge ability to do the body scan. And at times I would even close my eyes for a few moments, do the body scan and really get in touch with the feeling quite significantly. And then we'd stand up, keep walking, and that would fade a little bit. I would be less able to hold that feeling in the forefront of my experience. But it was something that I worked on constantly And as you're doing an action over and over again, it's easy to remind yourself of things. You can say, body scan. Keep walking for a bit, and then your thoughts will go off somewhere, and then you'll say, body scan. And you'll do the body scan, you'll move your attention around, and you'll keep walking, and then your thoughts will wander off for a bit. And then you'll go body scan again. And eventually, you'll be building up this muscle, you'll be building up this attention. And this I used in conjunction with acceptance. So if you feel tired, if you feel worn down, you accept the experience. You take on the experience. And this creates a thing that is separate to you as to your body. So there's a separation between what you are and your body. So usually when you're bushwalking and you're tired, you would say, I am tired or I am exhausted, or I am struggling with going up this big mountain. With acceptance meditation, you're saying that this is something that's happening to the body, and I accept the body as something separate as to what's happening to me. So you have something that's separate to your body, and that thing is untouched by the tiredness of the body. So the body can be tired, but you are not tired. The body can be worn out, but you are not worn out. And this is one that I kept working on. So as we came to more and more hills, and it became more and more steep, it was clear that my body wasn't going to make it. So we sat down for a bit and I said to my friend, look, I don't think I can make it. I was feeling really queasy at this time and I even had to do a bit of a puke from all the bad stuff that was in my tummy from walking after eating that food so soon and being unadjusted to so much exercise my friend was very understanding so we we set up camp for the night as we went to bed that night we had a tent each i mentioned to my friend that i might not be able to make it round the full loop we might have to turn back and he said well that might be the case but we'll just see in the morning and when i woke up in the next morning i did feel a little bit refreshed I did feel a little bit like I could keep going on, so we decided to pack up, have some breakfast, put our packs on and just see how far we could go. So we did all that and we're making our way up the hills, and I could see there was no way I could have made this yesterday, because today is so steep. We are climbing upwards, upwards, upwards. At points we are on cliffs, we are climbing up rock faces. It's almost like rock climbing. And the views were just stunning when we made it to different plateaus, different levels. There were these huge rocks baked in heat, shimmering in the sun. And all around, there was this huge view of this valley. Millions of trees. And off in the far horizon, there are cliff faces spreading all around of the sharp drop of the hills. By the time we made it to the top of Mount Solitary... I was already feeling pretty tired. And this was high sun, this was the hottest day. And we were getting low on water. Now, the trick with this loop is you can't really turn back halfway because further along the track there is a creek and that is your water supply, that is your refilling of water. And if you don't make it there, then you'll run out of water. You can't really turn back and say, well, we're running out of water, so we need to turn back because you've already come so far. So we found ourselves in a position which was that the only way out was forward. And it was getting hotter. And of course, I kept eating, but after so much exercise, it was hard for me to stomach too much food. We kept having rests. My friend was very experienced. He's an experienced bushwalker, and he's a lot fitter than I am, a lot stronger than I am. So he ended up even carrying more of a pack, probably something like three times as much as a pack as me. So my load was very light, and yet still I was struggling. But I was still able to maintain a pretty good witness over my experience and a pretty good separation with my body. One thing that you notice with mindfulness when you're doing a repetitive action is that it's very easy to have thoughts which are simple and they repeat themselves. And if you're aware of this, it can be a very relaxing thing. If you're used to complicated thoughts or creative thoughts or lots of changes in thoughts, these are the sorts of things that happen when you're doing gamma rays or you've got the gamma way of thinking. You sort of become addicted to hyper-thinking. And that is a subtle addiction that can happen. But if you're aware of this and you can accept having repetitive thoughts, which are simple, then the actions that you do throughout the day, like one foot after the other, step, step, one foot after the other, step, step, then your thoughts will match that kind of action. And sometimes people will have a song stuck in their head, which will be a simple melody and it will play over and over again. And this happened to me at certain times. And I was able to accept that. I was able to let that be a quietness. Let that be a simplicity and put off any idea of insight or creative thought that I usually have. Sometime after lunchtime, we made our way down the other side of Mount Solitary. and By this stage, our water was getting low and I was really being overheated. There was not much shade and we had to make our way through thick track. Sometimes we even went off track, through the bush, because it's so hard to find the trail. And it's becoming steeper and steeper, and we're going down, down. The side of the hill is rocky and slippery, and it's easy to lose a footing, and there's not always trees to hold on to. And at one point, I just had to rest. I had to rest again. I couldn't go any further. And I lay down with my pack still on, and my face covered by my hat, and I was panting, I was short of breath. I was dehydrated, I was drinking all that I could. And usually when you lose your breath, you can catch it again after a few minutes, but this one wasn't letting up. This was deep breathing. This was gasping for air. I was being reduced to basically my lowest level of survival. The only thing that concerned me was the heat, hydration, and breathing. There were very little thoughts beyond those three things. But I think I had dealt with it quite well. I wasn't stressed about this. I didn't think I was going to die or anything like that. I knew we were close enough to the creek. And I wasn't worried too much about not having certain thoughts that I normally have, because I knew that they would return in time. All that being granted, I did feel like I needed relief. My body was telling me that things are needing serious attention. So I said to my friend, look, you need to go on without me. Make it to the creek, and if I'm not there soon, come back and help me. And at this point, it turned out that it was about 600 metres from the creek, and I was still lying there, unable to move, in the heat, gasping for air. The only way out was forward. If I could just get myself to this creek, then I could cool down. I could have a rest, and we could set up camp. So after more rest, and almost finishing off all the water that I had, I kept on walking. And after a few moments, my friend had come back with some water from the creek to tip over our heads, and he said, it's not very far, so we made our way down. And it was a beautiful creek. It was wonderful surrounds. There were these giant trees, ancient trees that had fallen. There were rocks, pebbles, different areas where you could see the creek had been before. Pine trees, gum trees, all sorts of bushes ferns. Little birds sometimes went through. A whole array of different turquoise-colored dragonflies. And we must have seen just about every kind of ant. Brown ants, black ants, bull ants, march ants, sugar ants, spider ants. I even got bitten by a pretty nasty ant. Every ant you can imagine, we saw it down there. And it was in this little clearing that we set up camp. My friend had wanted to make more progress than that, but he could see that I had been completely destroyed by this mountain coming down Mount Solitary that we had to set up. Night came and a thunderstorm was coming. And we had some dinner and set up our tents just before the rain came. And it was great to finally relax with the pitter-patter on the overhead tent. I had been cooling off in the creek at one point And some other people had come down from the mountain as well, and one of them had come over to mention to me that the mountain had almost broken them. (laughs) And I said, yes, I know exactly what you mean. I felt the same. And those guys were walking a similar distance to us each day. But I was able to rest, able to enjoy a good night's sleep. And the next morning we woke up pretty early, packed up our tents and got ready To go. But before we headed off, I had some time to sit by the creek, cross legged with my eyes closed. And there really is something magical about meditating on the side of a creek or a river. There's something metaphorical about the stream of consciousness. A river is always changing, and yet it's also stable, it's always there. There's something tender about its sound. It's not quite a destructive sound or a creative sound. It's somewhere in between. It's quite soothing to hear water moving across rocks between twigs and leaves. And there was extra water in this creek because it had just rained. And when I was sitting there after all that movement, I could so quickly move into. A deep state of body scanning and sensory perception awareness. My eyes could open up. My senses could open up to the surrounds, to the sounds, to the feelings, to the smells. There's something very powerful about being right in the heart of nature. It might have been that I had such little time to meditate because we'd been walking so much. That my body jumped at the opportunity to meditate, and therefore made the most of it. And that was why I was able to move into a deep state so quickly. It's almost like you have a habit of being in a state, which means that if you normally don't have enough of that habit happening, when you do get the chance, your body will be quickly able to get up to speed. It's almost like being addicted to meditating, but it's a positive addiction. And it doesn't come with withdrawals. We put on our packs for the third day and climbed the steep climb out of the valley. I had blisters on my feet, cramps in my legs, a burning in my heart, a gasping for breath. But the weather on the third day was a lot better, because after the rain the cloud cover had come over to take away so much of the sun's blistering rays. The temperature had dropped and the humidity was up. So it was much better conditions for walking than the, the burning hot days we'd had previously on the mountain. And we made great progress up out of the valley onto the main track. And once we got onto the main track, it was a lot easier to make progress because this was a fire trail. It was a lot more steady. And there were lots of uphill moments. It was still a very steep incline at moments. But we were able to go along very quickly. So over the first two days, we'd only covered about 12 kilometers or 15 kilometers. And six of that had been the brutal climb over Mount Solitary itself. So we had about 18 or 19 kilometers left to cover in the last day, including the ascent up the stairs of the cliff face. But we were able to pull it off because of the weather conditions because of my strength, was much better. And I think my body was sort of starting to adjust to the pace and being less peak-like in its energy-releasing processes. So I think I was learning to adjust to the pace of walking so much, even though my legs were really worried, really worn out. Another thing that came to mind as I walked along these trails, was metaphorical thinking. Not everyone does have metaphorical thinking. Some people have developed it more than others. It's just one of those systems of thought which can become very clear when you have a tangible example right in front of you. And the tangible example was going uphill or downhill, making progress or receding. Peaks and troughs, ups and downs, pros and cons. So the whole metaphor of making progress and going up was right in front of my face in relation to how I thought about the physical world around me. And it's so often that we work hard on ourselves. We try and build something. We want progress. We want to push our way through that we are working uphill, we're building something, we're putting energy uphill, and it's a struggle, it's a strain. And the idea of a plateau, the idea of normality, of having things flatten out and just be flat ground. At times I would love just to have some flat ground instead of so many hills, so many ups and downs. It would have been so much easier to have a plateau And yet, when we're making progress metaphorically, we often say we don't want a plateau. We always want to be progressing. We always want to be going up. And so this sort of gave me the idea that these peaks and troughs, and these ups and downs, these highs and these lows, these intoxications and these hangovers, are not quite as good as having steady progress, or walking a path which is consistent, rather than having these ups and downs. We passed other creeks on our way home on that last day. And I was able to enjoy more of the nature. In one of the creeks I saw some yabbies. They were quite large because people don't go yabby hunting there. We also kept running into a few people that had made their way there through other routes. There's a lot of trails around the Blue Mountains. And eventually we came out to a beautiful clearing in the rainforest and we could see all around these high cliffs. and This was the start of our ascent up through the rainforest where we'd begun. Through the steps up to where the journey had all started. And it was a slightly different way up because we were further west than we had started. So it was a different set of stairs as what we'd done on our first day. But it was more or less in the same area. And it was all... More or less in the same sort of vegetation. It was in that waterfall rainforest sort of vibe, and we saw a lot of different waterfalls and creeks and beautiful mossy areas and lush green grasses. And one clearing we opened out onto, all these funny bugs went flying everywhere and they had these funny sounds and they were black and yellow. And we were just walking through this field of magic. We could see the nature all around. It was quite magical. And well worth going that direction. Once we made it up to the top, there were a lot of little lookouts on the way. We did get a little bit lost going through the tourist centers and the different car parks. But we made it back to the car, exhausted, quite late at night after making our way through the entire loop in three days. So it definitely gave me a sense of achievement. And I definitely had tested every muscle in my body, and I had a lot of blisters and stinky socks after making that trip. One of the things that really struck me as we drove our way back to Sydney was just how much advertising there was. After three days walking in the bush, I realised that I'd had a massive detox. I had not used my phone, no internet. I'd seen no advertising. I'd heard no music. And I'd had that much sweat go through my body that I'd detoxified from everything, from coffee, from all the bad foods. I hadn't even eaten that much. And all the actions, all the little bad habits, all the ticks that I'd had, they'd also been flattened out because I'd been too busy walking and thinking about my efficiency of my body. And just the eyeballs... You realize that your eyeballs is a source of intake from reality. All we had seen for three days was nature, trees, shrubberies, flora and fauna. And then we were driving back to Sydney, there's all these cars, there's these metal buildings, there's these steels, there's engines, there's rubble, there's rush, there's impatience, and there's so much advertising, billboards, lights, it's on the side of cars, on the side of trucks on the side of the road. You see it on bus stops. It's everywhere. And I could feel these advertisements giving me this feeling. And I could feel that I actually sort of wanted some of the things they were advertising for. And I could see that difference. I could notice that difference because of how much of a contrast there was between making our way through the city and being totally isolated in the bush. We only know what is around us by way of contrast. And for that reason, going into the bush for three days and doing nothing but walking was a valuable experience. Basically, throughout this walk, I was reduced to the psychological level of a baby. The only concerns I had were food, water, and shelter. And that is one of the lowest psychological levels of development that humans go through. Usually, humans go through that stage at the age of one or two. The next stage of psychological development is the family stage. And usually, for the majority of the trip, that's where my friend was at. He was taking care of me. He was showing me things. He was helping me with things. He was... Helping me get through as I struggled through this trip. So he was more of the family sort of figure. And I could feel that as I came back online, as I got back into my psychological abilities, I was able to do a bit of that as well. I was able to help a little bit. And I could see that now, now I'm so, so what I'm doing is I'm noticing the different psychological levels come back to me as I progress into the life conditions. So one way you can understand your psychological development and reconfigure your psychological structure is to reduce yourself to the most basic level. And then as you come back into the higher and higher levels, you notice how you are integrating them, what conditions are coming across your way that you need to be aware of in order to have the certain values or the attitudes. And that will give you more of an insight, more of a freshness, for more of an understanding as to how they work. So I was reduced to the baby level, and then we moved to the family level, where we were helping each other, and almost sort of like clockwork, the next psychological stage came along, because as soon as I had a handle on the family level, the passion level came on, and I could feel my fire, I could feel my emotion coming online. And very quickly after the emotional line, I noticed the conformity line. And then even after the conformity line, the next day, I could notice my success and my achievement coming online. And then by that stage, I'd moved so far up these psychological developments, all my usual structures were there and I could have an overview. Now, the difference is that when you are younger and you haven't been through the psychological development stages consciously, you're trying to make your way through them for the first time. When you're being reduced back to them after having already done them, there's still something that oversees the progress. So there's still something that knew, there was still a part of me that knew that I wasn't just a baby. I knew that I still had those higher structures available to me. And in a sense, that's what made the whole trip possible for me to do without too much psychological stress. It is easy to become stressful and say, Well, how far have we got to go? How many hills have we got to go? How hot is it going to be? How much water have we got? How far have we come? How much more do we have to do? These sorts of thoughts and questions can become a burden. They can just be a suffering. They can be restrictive. But if you are able to not worry too much about that, and you don't cling too much to your thoughts and your interactions with people, or the questions that you ask your travel guide, or in this case, it was my friend who I was walking with, then it's much easier. You don't have that burden. You don't have a psychological burden. If the only thing you have is the bodily stress, you can go through quite a lot and not worry too much about it. If you have a psychological weight or a psychological burden, then the bodily stress becomes unbearable and you can't really do much about it. And I think I did pretty well. Of course, that still meant that I said I was tired, still meant that I said I was struggling at times, but still, it made me feel like there was a part of me that was beyond the body, and going through the different psychological stages in a short amount of time really made it clear to me how they work and how they relate to each other. I had the next two days off, and I couldn't really walk much at all because my legs had seized. I could definitely feel a lot stronger. My sitting was a lot better the next day when I did my meditation. So it was definitely a worthwhile experience. And it just goes to show that there are multiple ways for you to make reality immediately and undeniably immediate. You can turn the volume up on your immediate subjective experience and just one of the ways of doing that is by exhausting the body you make all bodily functions pushed to their utmost limit because all experience is nested in the body it is an intensity of experience that can't really be matched by doing anything else. Now, when we talk about intensity of experience, there's a whole array of different things that we can say are the most intense experiences. It's very hard to say that one experience is the most intense experience, because exhaustion really does open up to one of the most intense experiences. But that's just one flavour of intensity. So it's very good to have an inv- a variety of experiences with a variety of intensities. And every now and then, you need to push all the way to the very utmost intense. And the only way I could have done that was by going along with my friend and putting myself on a path where the only way out is forward. The only thing that you can do to get out of the situation is to keep going with the situation. So by having a narrowing of options, a narrowing of the experience, and a narrowing of what's intense, you build the intensity. It increases the intensity. And for those reasons, I think it was very well worthwhile. Very important lessons to be learned, and I'd like to do it again. Maybe not quite so soon. (laughs) I'm still pretty tired, even now, from it, but it was definitely worth it in hindsight. So, I hope you've enjoyed this story of going bushwalking in Australia or hiking, as you might call it. My name is Andrew. This is the Andrew Lake Podcast. Thanks very much for tuning in, and I hope you're having. A beautiful day, that's all I have to say for now.